Well, it's good to see each and every one of you again tonight. God has answered our prayers. We asked him if it be his will that we will be able to assemble again tonight to study his word, to sing these songs of praise to him, to pray to him, to thank him for all those things that he has so richly blessed us with through his son, Jesus Christ. And, And behold, he has answered our prayers, and here we are. It's good to see each and every one of you. I know that we all are thankful tonight for the tremendous blessing of salvation that God has given each and every one of us. And the things that we're doing really is reflecting our thanksgiving to him if we're the children of God. And as we proclaim his word and all that we say and do, I do hope, I do hope and pray that we make sure that we properly represent him in all things. So we're thankful tonight again for this tremendous privilege. As we study our lesson tonight, I I want to say a couple of things before we actually begin the lesson. First of all, I'd like for us to to turn to God's word. Peter says in 1 Peter 4 and verse number 11, when we speak, let us speak as the oracles of God. When we minister, let uh, let us do it with the ability that God gives, that God in all things may be glorified through his son, Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. You know, when we go back to Matthew chapter 28, our Lord had fulfilled the things that God had given him to do. Of course, he taught and preached truth all throughout his earthly ministry. He gave the perfect example, perfect, flawless, sinless. And of course, he died, was buried in three days, rose again, according to the scriptures. And as he was about to ascend into heaven, as we looked at uh, a lesson uh, previously, As Jesus Christ would give commands to his apostles, as Luke records for us in Acts chapter 1. One of those places we find is in Matthew chapter 28. And the Bible tells us in verse number 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, literally all authority, is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe whatsoever. And I want us to really home in on that and pay attention to what our Lord says. Teaching them to observe whatsoever I command you and lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. Teaching them to observe whatsoever I command you. That not only entails what Jesus commands us to do, but really how we're given the commands, or the instructions to carry them out. As we would note, if we were looking at a lesson in the Sermon on the Mount, not only does Jesus Christ tell us the things that we must do to be faithful citizens of the kingdom, we are told how we're to do them. And we must make sure that we are adherent in not only what, but how we do those things. There is a, I guess, a, 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 a mentality in our day and time And I'm not trying to pick on our young people. We have some wonderful young people here. I've appreciated the words of encouragement and also the discussions that I've been able to have with with young people. It's always encouraging to see young people come up to you and and then want to ask you something, want to talk to you about something that you said. Uh, That's very encouraging to me. But I want our young people to be very aware and be very cautious about a misunderstanding that I believe many, many people have. Now, Before we would even deal with a lesson like this, we would probably have lessons uh, from a hermeneutical vantage point or direction. In other words, we would look at how we're to understand the Bible and how we are to ascertain God's authority that he's revealed. And that's important for us to know. I believe many people have the idea that we 
as the church, the body of Christ, have made and established and created a formula by which we have decided authority is to be established. And people challenge that based upon that premise, that we develop that, that we have established that. But I would challenge us all to look at God's word and ask this question. Is it a matter of the church of Christ establishing a way, making a way, developing a way by which authority is to be ascertained or established? Or is it more so us seeing in the word of God how God has revealed his will to us? And all we have done is looked at the totality of God's word, as many faithful people have done before us, and have seen how God has conveyed that will. That's really all we're, all we're talking about. We have not established a means by which authority is, is understood and, and uh, established, rather. But we have simply looked at the word of God and we have seen how God himself has revealed his will. Much like we were our own children. If you want your children to know what you desire, how do you convey your will to them? Well, God has done the same thing to us. That's all he's done. He created us. He knows what's best for us. And he conveys his will based upon how he has created us. I was talking to my wife last night and I said, you know, this idea about will, will the church of Christ establish command, example, and inference. They established that. And that's why so many people believe they can challenge that. But I don't believe that's what we've established. I simply believe that's what we discovered. And there's a big difference. How else do we convey our will to people except by giving a direct statement and command as far as our children? What about setting a, an example, a right and just example? Or making sure that they know the power of making implications or drawing conclusions on something? You know, I was talking to my wife and I said, you know, we as husbands and wife have to understand that very thing that we're talking about. You know, there as a head of the house, there may be some direct commands I have to give. That's the way it is. But I also know that my wife is to give the proper examples. As a matter, matter of fact, Peter says the proper example can cause your husband to obey God based upon your conversation, that perfect and approved example. And we know husbands, we better understand inference. Or implication. You know, if your wife comes to you and says, you know, that would be a nice place to go. Isn't it beautiful? Don't just look at the picture and say, well, yeah, that is nice. You better get the message. You know, or, you know, such and such down the street got that. And I think that would be real. You know, I, I see how that's so helpful to them. Get the message. And you can get the picture from there. So I probably would have a whole lesson based on those things. But please let us always make sure that it's God's word that is promoted and proclaimed. And let's not ever get the idea that the church is the authority of Christ instead of the church being the result of the authority of Christ. See, Catholicism teaches that the church is the authority. We're not Catholic. And so let us always make sure that that is the case. The church does not make the laws. We simply adhere to those that have been given to us by God, as we've seen in Matthew 28. Now, having said those things, if you will turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32, Exodus chapter 32. 
I want to begin in verse number one and read through verse nine. Exodus chapter 32, verses one through nine. As you know, the occasion, the nation of Israel had been delivered out of Egyptian bondage with the mighty hand of God. God had showed with great power and very uh, miracles and signs how he would deliver his people out of bondage. And so as they were receiving the law, Moses was up receiving the law. Note how Israel is responding to the goodness of God, the deliverance of God. And so we find in verse number one, and when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us, uh, brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we would not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives and of your sons and of your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graven graven tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow. And offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, go get thee down for thy people, which thou brought us out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way, which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. What a tragic scene. What a shame. What a sorrowful situation to see Israel having been delivered out of God after they had been in, in, in harsh bondage for so long a time. Their God hears their prayers and he sends a deliverer, Moses, the lawgiver. And he delivers them out and, of course, he gives his law. And as he is doing that very thing, his people seem to have been committing some pretty heinous things in corrupting themselves. And that which they were doing, they say that they were doing in dedication to God. But, of course, God expresses to us and reveals to us such was not the case. They sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. As we consider those thoughts and consider the things that we see here by God's servant Moses as revealed through the Holy Spirit. Beloved, I want us to consider ourselves and our purpose. Remember, we talked about Sunday in Exodus chapter 19 with the purpose that God intended for Israel. They were to be a a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people if... They obeyed the commandments of the Lord. They would be a a peculiar treasure to him. And so they had a purpose. They had a God. They had a purpose. And yet, as we see here, they were not properly representing their God and forsaking the purpose that God intended that they agreed to when God gave those things to them. Now, having said that, I'd like for us to turn to the New Testament. And I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 2 and beginning in verse number 19. Through verse 22, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through verse number 22. 
the Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, would, would give us uh, something that we can, can go by and how the church was, was built upon God's will, God's word. And in Ephesians 2 and verse 19, he says, Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the, uh, himself being the chief cornerstone, in, all, in whom are the, all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built it up together. Talking about Jew and Gentile. For a habitation of God through the spirit. We too have a purpose. We too have a God that has delivered us out of the power of darkness. And conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Or his dear son as some versions say. We too have a purpose. Peter told us of that purpose actually in 1 Peter chapter 2. As Peter would look back at Exodus. And of course the Holy Spirit would inspire Peter to say. You know the same purpose that God had for Israel as he delivered them out. My, my servant, Peter, I want you to convey to Christians that same purpose in First uh, Peter chapter two and verse number five. Ye also are lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then verse number nine. But ye are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We too have a purpose. We have a call. We have something that we're to be accomplishing. But now have we sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play? Now, as most of you know, my, my past, my, my journey in the Lord, most of you know it. As a matter of fact, I'm supported because that, that you, you met me. You knew that story. And I imagine if I went back to the things that I have forsaken, you would stop that support. Amen. you to consider something for a moment what if you were driving down the road heading to wherever you go or heading rather and going wherever you were going and minding your own business making sure you were looking and and keeping yourself safe from remember when you're driving you have to watch other people probably more than you have to consider yourself because it's those other people that you need to be concerned about but you saw this construction site and you saw people working and diligently carrying out their contractual rather obligations. And they were so busy and heavy machinery and dangerous machinery and all these different things as they were erecting this building. And right in the middle of that construction site, you saw a playground with children playing and having a good time. I'm sure each and every one of us would be gravely concerned for the safety of those children. We would wonder why would somebody place a playground in a construction site? That's a place to work, a place to construct, a place to build. It's not a place to play. Most of us probably would call some authority uh, uh, to report this, 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 this dangerous situation. You see, all of us would be concerned if there were playgrounds on construction sites. It's just not the place for that. I want us to consider that thought tonight and that concern that we would all have as we explore our, our lesson tonight. Now, when we consider playgrounds or construction, some things that the Bible tells us about the church, about the church, about what God's purpose is for Christians, his people. One thing we find is in First Peter, First uh, Timothy, rather, chapter 3 and verse number 15, the Apostle Paul, in writing to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, by the way, uh, the verses that we just read, 
And he says, but if I tarry long that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. You see, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, I believe here in the, the immediate context, he's talking about the local church. When we think about a local church, we truly see the pillar and ground of the truth. And, and when we note that church, we can see God's manifold wisdom. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 3 and verse number 10, the Apostle Paul, again, same church states to the intent that now to the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. And yes, we declare God's wisdom through the scriptures. But I believe this verse tells us that the church is a representation of the manifold wisdom of God. When we think about our purpose and how our perfect God has established this perfect way through his perfect son, we see clearly that he, it has been done flawlessly. The, 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 the intent, the purpose again of the church, the plan of salvation that that church proclaims, the organization of the church, the work of the church, the fellowship of the church are all perfect. Now, of course, we are imperfect, but it's perfect. We question ourselves. We don't question God. We also note that in the Colossian epistle, in Colossians 3 and verse number 17, the apostle Paul, in writing to another church in the area of Asia Minor, would say, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, thus giving thanks unto God and the Father by him. You see, we have a purpose. We also note that the Bible tells us every single local church is to be practicing the same thing. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 17, that same apostle, Paul, who wrote those other epistles, would state, For this cause have I sent unto you, Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. The only difference, really, that we find between local churches, and we'll see that difference in just a moment, are... Geographical locations, that's it. It's not a matter of what we do. It may be a matter of when we do it. Now, 10 o'clock as opposed to 11, maybe 9, maybe 9.30. The things that we have the liberty to do. Some people take the Lord's Supper or the first part of the service, some in the middle, some at the end. But you know what? It better be done on the first day of the week in that assembly. Paul taught the same thing. Paul also stated in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or epistle. The idea of tradition, the word simply means a delivering or handing down, a transmission. In the New Testament, what is transmitted in the way of teaching, precepts or doctrine. It's simply a handing down. We know what the word tradition means. As a matter of fact, most of us don't we attend what's called a family reunion. That has been a tradition that our family has perhaps done over the, it's handed down. But now there's two types of traditions stated in the Bible. One is divine, as we see here by word or epistle, and one is human, as Jesus Christ would condemn in Matthew chapter 15. Simply handed down. And so Paul says, look, we need to stand fast and hold that which has been handed down by the apostles. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians eleven two, that word tradition is also translated ordinance in the King James Version. When Paul says, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances. Some versions say traditions as there's our word, our adverb of manner, not just what, but how I delivered them. 
It's so important that we do what God says the way that he says to do it. And I'm afraid that when it comes to the work of the church, perhaps the issues that we saw being fought so diligently in the 50s and 60s, the issues as they're called, have been taken rather lightly in our day and time. Perhaps they're not even taken seriously at all. Maybe Satan has lulled us to sleep into thinking that, hey, however you do it is however you do it, and however we do it is the way we do it. The end justifies the means mentality. Brother, I'm here to tell you the Bible never, never, ever says the end justifies the means. It's the means that justifies the end. We have to keep that in mind. The work of the church is just as important then as it ought to be now. That importance has not diminished over time. It has not gone away. We cannot say that, well, there's more pressing issues now. That stuff right there. No, no, no. Not if we want to get to heaven. When we speak, let us speak as God has spoken. And when we minister, serve, let us do it as God, or the means, brother, that God has given us to do it. It hasn't changed. Now, okay. Now, as we consider those things, I want to just build a foundation. Now, first of all, uh, when you think about the etymology of the word church, the word church from the New Testament standpoint is a word that we all familiar, you know, ecclesia. And, of course, it's a combination of the word ek or, or kaleo, which means called, in other words, called out. But, you know, when you look at the word from a, a, a secular sense, and if I can use that word, uh, from something that is not spiritual, it really helps us to understand. For example, in Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 19 and verse number 32 beginning, this word is used three times in Acts chapter 19. Note how it's used, but again, how it's used helps us or conveys to us really how it's to be understood. In Acts chapter 19 and verse number 32, Luke would record an instance in Ephesus. Okay, in Ephesus, and notice what he says here uh, in verse number 32. Some, therefore, uh, Paul was preaching the gospel. Of course, uh, we know that a riot would ensue as a result of what Paul would preach. Of course, he was taking away the livelihood of those who who made the souvenirs and various things for the great goddess of the Ephesians, Diana. And so as Paul spoke against idolatry, there would be a great turmoil. It would be a great riot. And so in verse number 32, know what, what was said. Some therefore cried out one thing and some another. For the assembly, there is our word. It's translated here, assembly. Was confused. And the more part knew not, or, or knew not, rather, wherefore they had come together. Kind of sounds like a lot of assemblies in our day and time. They don't even know why they've come together. But note also, as we read on in verse number uh, 34. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, Great is Diana the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is the worship of the great goddess Diana and of the image which has fallen down from Jupiter? See then that these things cannot be spoken against. Ye ought to be quiet and do not uh, do nothing rashly. 
For ye have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of our goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which were with him have matter against them, the law is open, and there are deputies. Let them implead one another. But if you require anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. Again, there's our word. In verse number 41, and when he had said thus, they dismissed the assembly. That's really the essence of the word church, the ecclesia, the called out. It really means an assembly, an assembly rather of God's people, those who've been called out of the world, called out of darkness and called into the body of God's dear son, into the kingdom of his dear son. See, it meant to be called out as far as the, uh, the Greek understanding was to be called out to conduct Business we may call be you know call a, an assembly of the council or a council assembly and remember when you're in an assembly such as that it's only business that is to be conducted it's not playtime a council meeting if we found out council meetings were were uh, were were uh, composed of people partying and having doing all we would have a problem with that that our council people were sitting around partying when they ought to be conducting the business of the town well the same thing is true here. So we are called out to be an assembly to conduct the business of the Lord. And so when we see that word used that way, that's how we have to understand an assembly. Now, the church is revealed, I believe, in two ways in the Bible. And this point is so important. This was so vitally significant to me understanding the work that the Lord has commanded the church to do. As a matter of fact, this was an eye opener for me because I had heard. I'm sure you have heard that whatever we can do, the church can do as far as the local church. Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a member of the church or whatever I do. Everybody can do. We can do it. This was pivotal to understand that wasn't the case. You see, the church, first of all, as we would refer the church in the universal sense. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, in the universal sense, we simply go to the scriptures, such places as Matthew 16 and verse number 18. When Jesus Christ says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, when uh, Peter would, would confess that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this unto you, but my father, which is in heaven. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus Christ is essentially saying, I will establish my people. And that was monumental because remember. In the mind of the Jews, God had a people. And here is the son of Joseph and Mary, this Jesus of Nazareth, saying he's going to have a people. Who does he think he is? Well, he's the son of God. Other places, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, we find the church in the universal sense. In other words, we have Christ as the head of the body. The body is the church, the believers. In Acts chapter 2, in verse number 41, and they gladly received the words of Peter. And remember, they obeyed the gospel. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and about 3,000 souls were added unto them. Verse 47, praising God and having faith with all the people. The Lord added to the assembly of God's people daily those that were being saved. That's the universal sense. In other words, if you obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter where you are, what country you are, it doesn't matter. You are all added. We are all added to the one body of Christ. It's it's, it's not difficult. 
The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 12 and verse number 23 to the general assembly and church of the firstborn and to God, the, the judge of all and to the just spirit. Uh, I'm sorry, to the spirits of just men made perfect. That's the church in the universal sense. Christ is the head. We are the body. And God is so wonderful because he put it in such simplistic terms. You have a head. You have a body. And so he reveals the church in that way. Now, we understand and we need to understand that when it comes to the universal sense of the church, how it's revealed, there is no earthly organization or authorized earthly organization in the church in the universal sense. There is no authority. God has never revealed any other organizational pattern or structure when it comes to the church universal. That is nowhere found in Scripture. So when people start making these organizations and forming these organizations, they are doing it without the authority of God. Now, then there is the church local, such as we have here at Oak Mountain, or such as you have here at Oak Mountain, such as we have in Troy at South Brunswick Street. But I'm glad to be visiting with my brethren here at the Oak Mountain Church of Christ. That's the local sense. You see, when it comes to the local church, Christ is still here. Oh, he's always going to be head. But now we find the church, as far as those members that have been added to the body of Christ in the universal sense, now assemble to worship and serve God in a specific geographical location. And within that, we find That God has ordained that the church is organized a little more specifically. Again, Christ, of course, you have elders and you have elders here at Oak Mountain. They shepherd the flock, but then you have members. Now, those members may be deacons, teachers, or evangelists. Uh, again, we have examples of the church at Ephesus, Corinth. Uh, again, us at South Brunswick Street, uh, church at Philippi. Acts 14, remember Paul and Barnabas would go and establish elders or ordain elders in every church. In Acts 13 and verse number 1, Paul and Barnabas were members there, at that, I believe, at that time in Antioch. They had teachers there, Paul and Barnabas being uh, uh, among those teachers. And so that, that's, that's the organization. And by the way, that's the only, the only organization we find in the Bible. That's it. No other organizations over here, or perhaps over here, are authorized carry out the work that God has given them. No separate organizations. No separate business models or whatever you call it. That's not what God has established. And remember, let us remind us, take a moment, step back and remind ourselves, God is all wise. And the church makes known the manifold wisdom of God. The church should never make known our wisdom. Which is essentially, let's just be honest about it. God's wisdom makes man's wisdom foolishness. And there's so much foolishness that's going on because people will not simply accept what God says. Now, as we've already noted, these two are distinctive in organization and function. For example, we find the church universal, as we've already noted, Christ is the head. 
Okay, and then there's the body, and that's us individually. Every single individual Christian here who's obeyed the gospel is a member of that church, that universal church. Then we find from a local standpoint, as we've seen here, that there is an organizational structure here that must be adhered to. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And note how that organizational pattern is to be maintained and established as God has revealed it. Men have sought to change that and have changed it over the decades, the centuries, and that has caused so many problems. Have you ever noticed that most of the apostasies that have taken place, even if we trace it back from the third century on, have taken place beginning with how things are organized? Because we organize based on function or, or purpose. And so when you change the organization of something, you're normally trying to change that organization to put a different focus on the purpose. And that's what happens. And so people began to organize differently and different purposes or, or functions are set out as a result of that. That's what happened. That's what happened. And now we see denominationalism to be the end result of that change in organization. And in first Peter chapter five, Peter says this, the elders, which are among you, remember those strangers and pilgrims that Peter talks about in chapter one among you, whom I also am an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partake of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, which is among you taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willing, not a filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. You were to shepherd as elders the flock, which is among you. The elders at Oak Mountain have no authority to shepherd the church up the street or whatever church that may be. Y'all know the area better than me. And those elders are not to come here and try to shepherd y'all. You shepherd the flock which is among you. The authority of the elders, remember, the local church is autonomous. In other words, it's self-governing. It's not to be run by other churches or other organizations or other people somewhere else. That's according to God's manifold wisdom. That's the way it's established. So if that church goes off the deep end, you don't have to go off the deep end with it. Everyone can serve the Lord in their own Fear. In other words, we don't have to get edicts and, and, and get universal conventions and various things to establish law for the churches of Christ. Contrary to what some of my brethren think. And that convention that so many denominational churches have every year. Now, you may call it a convention, but in some of our circles, it may be called a lectureship. You don't establish law at any of those places. God has established the law. And every church carries out the work of the Lord, being self-governed by Christ himself. Guys, that's a perfect plan. It's perfect. It's wonderful. And I'm so glad for it. But now we find a distinction, as we know, between the church universal and the church local. I think one place that, that I was taught and it really just it just opened up my eyes is in First Peter, uh, First Timothy, rather, chapter five and verse number 16. And there's so many other places we see a difference or a distinction in Matthew 18. You know, when a brother trespasses against you to go to him, he doesn't listen. To you. you take two or three others and listen to him. He tells the church that there's a distinction there. But in First Timothy, chapter five and verse number 16, it really, really just brought it all out to me. In 1 Timothy 5 and verse 16, If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them. 
And let not the church be charged that it may relieve them of widows indeed. There's individual responsibility and culpability. And there's collective responsibility right there in those verses. And they are distinct. One is not to just bleed into the other. If you as an individual Christian, if you're a believer, you are to care for yours. Now, those who are really widows who have no other individuals to care for them, the church is to care for them. And even then, Paul gives stipulations later. Who can even be cared for in that capacity? From the church. But you know, if a person hasn't washed a saint's feet, if they haven't done all the things that Paul talks about, the requirements for widows indeed, that still doesn't stop us as individual Christians to care for them. Say they don't meet those qualifications. They're not the right age. They haven't done all those things. But we still can do it. God's plan is perfect. It's perfect. They're still going to be cared for. If we're the committed Christians that we ought to be. This is evident by the responsibilities and work that we find revealed. Now, first of all, we'll step over here if you don't mind for a moment. Now, again, Christian individual, member of the church in the universal sense, the body of Christ. Wherever you live, wherever you are, if you've obeyed the gospel, it doesn't matter whether you're Jew Gentile, bond, free, male, female, it doesn't matter. If you're in India, if you're in Europe, if you're in America, if you're in Africa, wherever the case may be, you are in the body of Christ if you obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that's the Christian individual. That Christian individual has different works. First of all, he has an individual work even in the spiritual aspect of what God has given. Now, and again, all of it, I realize, has a has spiritual implications, but we're talking about the work of evangelism. You know, an individual Christian is evangelized, by the way. Okay. What about uh, edification? Well, the individual Christians edify. We're, we're to edify one another, even individually. Uh, first Timothy, uh, Second Timothy 2 and verse number 2, Timothy was to teach faithful men to teach others. We also find benevolence, Galatians 6 and verse number 10, as you have therefore opportunity to good to all, especially in the household of faith. First Timothy 5, 1, Acts 9, 36 through 39. All of us are to be benevolent people from an individual standpoint. Uh, as far as worship. We don't we just don't come on Sunday and worship God. Would it be praying, hopefully, all throughout the week? Would it be studying our Bibles? Would it be doing all those things? And hopefully it's not just on Sunday or Wednesday for some that we pray or study together. No, hopefully we're doing that all during the week. Okay? Then we have family duties. First of all, as spouses, we have the duty of companionship. And of course, as a husband, I'm the head of my house. And I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church. She, she is one flesh with me and she should submit to me as the church is subject unto Lord, or the Lord. Children are to obey their parents in the Lord. They have an obligation to be obedient children as well. Uh, obedient where the parents have the obligation, especially fathers, to not provoke their children to wrath, but to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And within that duty or within those duties, we also to provide recreation or education, or whatever the case may be. We may pay a school to do that. I don't know. But that's our responsibility as individual Christians. It's not the church as a collective. We have civic duties to obey the laws of the land, to pay taxes. Jesus Christ commands us to do that. Paul tells us that we're to do that. We have social duties. We're to provide honest labor that we may be able to help those who are in need. We provide for our own. And providing for our own may sometimes mean that we have to pay a nursing home. Or the Red Cross. I put a red flag there, but y'all, you know, that's up to you. Uh, orphan, we may may give money to an orphan's home. Hopefully an orphan's home that's not supported in ways that they're not to be doing unlawfully. But we can do those things. We we may have to put 
our parents, or in some one of our loved ones in a, in a nursing home because we can't provide the care necessary uh, for them uh, to have. So all of these duties here are for individual Christians, the church universal. Pretty simple. But then now we have the church local. Now, we as individual Christians compose a local church. Every local church is composed of Christians, individual Christians who act collectively and that's how they act as an assembly or as a church of God's people. We do that through the means of a pooling together, the contribution. We still have our individual work. This does not rule out that, but through a uh, contribution, whether we have joint participation, we are all participating together. That is collective work. The local church is a collective. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 18. When you come together, therefore, into one place, when you come together as a church, as an assembly of God's people to conduct the business of the Lord. So it's there that we jointly, collectively participate in the worship and work of the Lord, carrying out those duties that God has given us to do. Now, collectively, again, we have a threefold work. Again, when we come together as a church, we're to carry out the work of evangelism. How was that done in the Bible? Well, we find that the work of evangelism was done in the scriptures by churches supporting preachers, supporting evangelists, supporting their own or perhaps evangelists in other places. We find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 8, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, Philippians 4 and verse number 15. And even the church of Thessalonica, they sounded out the word of the Lord. Now, I don't know if they did that by the way of a gospel meeting, but however, they did, they did it. And they're commended for it. Then we have edification. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26, Acts 11 and 22, and I'm going through these verses, so y'all just write them down, look them up, and uh, they'll, we'll, uh, they'll, they'll be uh, for you to look up later if you need be. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 17, they were to edify one another, support the weak. Also, in the realm of edification are our worship services. We not only glorify God and praise God in our worship services, we, all, we, build, well, we build up or edify one another. That's why it's so important to be here. You know, people talk about the obligation. Uh, look, you're supposed to be here. You need to be here. God says you ought to be. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25 tells us that. Amen. Don't forsake the assembling together yourselves as the manner of some is. But have you noticed the other verses there in? Hebrews chapter 10 and even Hebrews chapter 8 or 9, brother, in chapter 8 and how it all just gets a continuous slow. Because one of the things that I believe is so problematic when it comes to people forsaking the assembling together themselves is people as a whole are selfish. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Most people don't realize that I need to see you. I need the encouragement. Look, we all are around people who don't share our beliefs all week. And if we're doing what God says, we are pretty probably probably hated by most. We're persecuted by some. And isn't it wonderful to come on the first day of the week? And of course, we have the authority. We have the means by which, as an expedient, we can even meet on Wednesday. But isn't it wonderful to come to those who share the same belief that like precious faith and be able to praise God together? And I need to see you and hopefully you need to see me. I'm encouraged by your presence and you're encouraged by mine. But see, the problem is people oftentimes don't care. We're so 
one-sided. We don't care about each other more than, or as much, brother, as we should. That's the problem. I don't have to be there. I mean, I, I got my own thing, uh, my own things I need to do. Or, or I, anyway, that's another lesson for another day. And then benevolence. And as we find in the scriptures, you know as well as I know. If you haven't known it, I encourage you to write these verses down and please look them up. It was an eye opener for me when I looked these things up. That every single instance when it came to a local church, a collective of God's people, the only people that were assisted were needy saints. Specifically in our context, Jerusalem. But it appears that it wasn't just Jerusalem that was assisted or helped or benevolence was sent from a local church to other needy saints. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 12 and 13, not only supplied the one of, uh, only the, one of the needs of the saints, but was also many thanksgivings unto God. And notice he says, to you or to them rather, the saints in Jerusalem and to all saints other places. And so it wasn't just in the other verses, I believe, that help us to see that it wasn't just Jerusalem. And so we have authority to do those things in these capacities, and they should not cross over one another. What is one of the in our country? Think about this from this, this vantage point. We have our legislative branch serving as judiciaries. We have our executive branch thinking that they are the legislative branch and hence, uh, hence rather eliminating the responsibilities of the judicial branch. And guess what? The people have nothing to say and they better not say nothing. Everybody's crossing up. You see, you have the government trying to be the home, the home trying to be the government, schools trying to be the home and the government, and nobody's fulfilling their own responsibilities. Guys, when I worked at the elementary school, and I still see teachers all the time, it is amazing that teachers, the one thing they don't do or don't have time to do is teach. They're too busy being mothers and fathers and babysitters and caretakers and health care providers and everything else. That they don't have time to teach. Literally teach the curriculum that they're supposed to be teaching. They're too busy doing everything else. And psychologists and psychiatrists. Because parents... Y'all handle that. I give them to you at the beginning of the day. Don't want to hear about it till the end of the day. And some of you teachers here know that's true. Because when you call a parent, what are you calling me for? I'm at work. I can't. Do- Wait a minute. It's your child. No, nope, not during this time. It's your child. So everybody's trying to do everything else. And, and that's what we find. Individual, uh, uh, the universal church tries to do the work of the local church. And again, I know local church tries to do this, that, and the other. to try to be a gut. You name it. Trying to be a benevolent society, a hospital, and everything else. And not just doing the work that God has given it to do. The church was established and des- or designed, rather, established, designed, and organized to do the work given it to do. His, uh, God's wisdom is infinite. In Psalms 104 and verse number 24, we find, O Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom. You have made them. uh, You have made them all. The earth is full of your possession. Ephesians 310. We've already known to the intent that now, now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church and the principalities and powers in heavenly places. And see, we have our own 
responsibilities. And let's keep that up. Now, when it comes to the local church, what are the responsibilities of a local church? When I first saw this, I I must tell you, I, I did not believe it. And I'm talking about even later. I didn't believe it because it seemed too, too, too short a list, too minimum. I just, it, it has to be more than that. But again, when we look at the scriptures and we look at what the word of God says and let the word of God speak, we'll find that the work of the local church is right. Not really all that extensive. As a matter of fact, I believe without a doubt, when you look at the book of Acts, what do you find more? The work of a local church? You do. Don't misunderstand me. What's emphasized more? The work of individual Christians. So just look at it. When you talk, uh, talk about the assemblies of God's people, you don't find much in the book of Acts when you think about the history of the Lord's people. Now, that's in the epistles. So there's so much work for us to be done as individual Christians. But it's really not an extensive list when it comes to the local church. Let me show you. Now, I didn't originate this list. I've kind of added a few more verses, but please study it and look it up for yourself. And y'all, everybody has my number. If you don't, you know how to get in contact with me. I'll be glad to talk to you about it. If you have some other ones, I'll be glad to incorporate them in here. All right, now, in assembly of the saints, we find we are to assemble as saints. In such an assembly, the saints are to observe the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. Acts 20, verse number 7, 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 33, of course, chapter 11, period, beginning verse 17. They are to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. They are to, and in doing so, they're teaching and admonishing one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 13, uh, 14, 13, uh, verse 26, Ephesians 5, 19, Colossians 3, and verse number 16. They are to pray together for one another and for all men. Acts 12 and verse number 5, 1 Timothy 2 and verse number 1. I believe that's in context of a local assembly there in 1 Timothy. They are to preach and attend to the teachings of God's word. Acts 20, verse number 7, 1 Corinthians 14, and verse number 26. They are to lay by in store on the first day of the week as they have been prospered to finance their collective responsibilities. First Corinthians 16 and verse number two. And people will have to uh, often say, well, that was for specific need and specific time. OK. All right. Got that. Now tell me what else we have. What other example do we have? What else do we have? Well, we, we don't have nothing else. All right, then we're finished. We're done with that conversation. That's all we have. They are to support the preaching of the gospel. Again, the work of evangelism. 2 Corinthians 11, 8. Philippians 4, verses 15 and 16. They are uh, to provide for the fulfillment of the needs of certain destitute saints. Acts 4, 34, 35, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Romans 15, verse 25 through 31. And 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 16. And the local church is to exercise discipline against its... Let's, let's just circle that right there. It's unlawful members, not members in other churches. Now, you have an individual responsibility to do that in Ephesians 5. But no, Oak Mountain does not need to be withdrawn from brother so-and-so at Vestavia. Let those elders handle that. Now, individually, hey, brother, can't do that. See, some congregations have that. Had to believe that this preacher over here, this congregation teach false doctrine. So they send him a letter talking about they were drawn from. It. He's not a member there. All right. All right. Let me continue on with this list. That's it. There is no more list. 
Not many, many things, guys. And maybe that's the problem. People think it's just not enough. We need to, we need to fill that basket a little more. But I believe if we look at our individual responsibilities, we will find enough to do in this life. We have enough to do there. Don't misunderstand me. You look at those things, because everything, that these, everything we see, everything that's noted in that list, you need to be the type of Christians that can carry those out faithfully. And there's a love and concern that we have to have for one another to make sure that we're doing those things. That's a work in and of itself. But it's not really that many things. So, when it comes to the local church, that's what we find. That was the, that, and again, I, I'll be, I'm all ears. But now, what does that do with everything else? Recreation. I know I normally don't use clip art. I try to use photos, but y'all just bear with me on this one. Recreation. Church pays, uh, church supports, local church camps and canoeing and baseball and barbecues and everything else. Sports, picnics. What about Christian student campus ministries? Now, some may say, well, that's an extension of the local church. Remember what our slide said before? Where is the authority for the extension of a local church? In Troy, where I'm at, of course, most of you know, Troy University, well, it used to be Troy State. Amen, Luke? But it's Troy University now. Campus ministry of one of the congregations there is a big, popular ministry. And in talking with the evangelist there, he simply said, and I asked him, I said, well, do the elders have oversight over that extension? He said, well, no, we're a little bit separate from the elders. I said, well, okay. That's kind of strange. I said, well, I noticed on your, uh, on your website you have different Bibles. Yeah, well, we have our Bible study in campus ministries. And the local church there, they have their Bible studies. Now, remember, in the same breath, he was saying that they're simply extension of that local church. That local church finances the campus ministry. Uh, that local church provides whatever needs to be done for that camp- campus ministry and other organizations and groups within the campus. Now, let me ask you a question. Where's the authority for an extension of a local church? Just give me the verse. I'll be back there when the service is over. Now, we are also there. We don't have an extension of the local church. We just have young people who try to evangelize to other young people. And we as individual Christians have get-togethers with those young people to try to show them what it means and how they need to be cautious to be young people. We don't need an extension. We don't need a separate ministry. We don't need this, that, and the other. Where's the authority for that? See, beloved, we're to do whatsoever we do in word or deed. We're to do all, all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, thus giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Our adherence to Bible authority is an expression of our thanksgiving to God. And if there's no Bible for it, if we cannot look into the word of God and see God having revealed it, whatever it may be, brethren, it's prohibited. Now, if it's an issue of liberty, the Bible will tell us that. But when it comes to the work of the church, be careful about these issues of liberty. 
as everybody tries to use Romans 14 as a dumping ground for religious compromise, I believe. Playgrounds on construction sites ought not to be, understand, danger. This is a construction area. It's not a play area. This is an area of work. We are building. We play on our own time. And understand, hopefully that playing is still lawful. I've cut this lesson down over time. And that needed to be, but I tell you, I'm here today because of an understanding by good, godly, faithful, loving, kind men who saw the need to take the time to talk to me and study with me. Some of which are members here, some of which are other members in other places. Because they taught me or helped me to see better stated that the work of the church is not a secondary issue. People will lose their souls for not doing what God has said the way God has said do it. I do believe that the work of the church, and I want to make this clear, is a salvation issue. It's not a matter of our opinions. It is an issue that if we don't do it the way God says, we will be condemned. That's how strongly I believe it. I believe the Bible teaches us that. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in our name, cast out demons in our name, and done many mighty works in our name? You know what our Lord's going to say? Depart from me, you work lawlessness. I never knew you. Please, tell me, if that does not include the work that would later be authorized and given by God to do in his church. If it excludes it, please show me how. If you're here today and you're not a child of God, I hope, and you may say, well, okay, uh, but, but please, if, if you gain nothing from this lesson, I want you to understand how serious the work is. That God has given us to do. If you're not here and you're not a Christian. You're not a member of the body of Christ. In that universal sense that we talked about. You haven't obeyed the gospel. You may say this lesson's irrelevant to me. No it's extremely important. Because you have to know what's going to be required of you. You have to see the severity of adhering to the commandments of God. And we are a very serious people. About the work that God has given us to do. We want to make sure we do it right. And we have the means to do that. God has given us the sufficient means. The church is sufficient to carry out his work. His work is essential to men's salvation. And that work that God has given us to do that's so essential, he's told us how to do it. And so we're serious. We're serious. Now, it may be other churches don't do it that way. Well, they have this and they have that and they do that. Hey, where's the authority for it? But please know that God's people, God's true people, are serious about everything that God's command, or God commands. That's why we stand on these things. So if you're here today and you see, well, that, you know, that, that is pretty serious. <laughs> we encourage you to make the decision to be a part because it is serious. Heaven and hell is serious. And if you haven't obeyed the gospel, do you realize what you're doing or not doing? 
hell is eternal, just as heaven is. And all you have to do is obey the gospel. Do what Jesus Christ said. You have to believe in Jesus. You have to be willing to turn away from everything that's contrary to him. And no, you may not know all those things, but as you find those things out, you are willing without a doubt, without hesitation. Well, I'm not going to do that anymore. And the things that God commands, you know, I'm going to start doing those things. That's repentance. And you're willing to confess Christ before men, standing upon the principles and truths that God has revealed, willing to die for him because he died for you. And then you're willing to submit yourself to baptism. And no, it's not just getting in some water. But it's obeying the commandments of God and having all of your past sins washed away by the blood of Jesus as you obey God, uh, obey God and are baptized in that water. No, you're not going to hear any uh, uh, harps and, and no, uh, a light's not going to shine down from heaven on you and you, the water's not going to start bubbling over to let you know that you're saved. You're going to be saved because you know what the Bible says. And God's going to add you to this church that we talked about, the body of Christ, the church of Christ. And it's there that you assemble with a faithful group of Christians doing what the Lord says, the way the Lord says do it. And you encourage them and they encourage you. And one day, you'll all be in heaven together. Who would, why would you not want to do that? And as a child of God, you see the seriousness of this. Look, if there need to be changes made, please make those changes. If you need to change your beliefs about things, yes, guys, people are going to, people that you once knew, they're going to hate you. They're not going to want to have anything to do with you. Just based on the change in these convictions, I'm telling you, they're not going to want to have anything to do with you. And you're going to say, well, 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 we're all Christians. They're going to say, well, no, you're just an anti. I, I don't have anything. When you stand for God's word, I'll tell you just from my experience, when you make the decision to do what God says, it's like a ton is lifted off. You feel liberated. And you're going to be willing to stand on anything God says. But it'll cost you. It'll cost you some friendships. But do what's right. God has given us the opportunity today, tonight, as we stand and as we sing.